Lucky you. Best 36 holes in golf. You tuned in to Alternate Shots Podcast. Barney's Army. Where we talk about golf. Barkies, Sandys. Poker. Bond. James Bond. Horse racing. I'm all in. Great movies. Alfred Hitchcock. We have no script. And down the stretch they come. We're glad you joined us. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. (laughs) (laughs) Whoop. Let's start again. Hey, Alternate Shots fans. Here we go today. We're going to cover the East Course with noted historian and Tillinghast expert, Phil Young. Welcome to the podcast, Phil. We're pleased to have you twice in one week. Double and triple the pleasure for me. Two courses, two times. The very first piece I ever read about a particular golf architect uh, was in the USGA Golf Journal about A.W. Tillinghast. And so here was this guy that I'd read about, that I'd studied some of his work, and every single article I ever read or every single reference to him started off with the creator of Wingfoot. You know, it was like, okay, here's the guy, but, you know, he's done a lot of great work, but it always starts with the creator of Wingfoot. Yeah, so Phil, what's interesting there is that audio from Gil, who understands the dirt and the grass and the bunkers and the intentions of Tillinghast from a, uh, really from a golf course builder, architect, He's mer- he moves the earth, he gets in there with the, the plow and so forth. What do you think of that, uh, that point he makes, Tilly, T-I-L-L-Y, the creator of Wingfoot? He was. He created it. Um, That phrase is used with him uh, on a number of different courses, but it really resounds with Wingfoot. With all the great courses he has designed, not that I've seen all of them, but I've seen some of them. Wingfoot comes to mind for probably additional reasons besides the fact that Tilly designed it so well because he designs them all very well. But the history that comes with Wingfoot, the Opens, the membership, the club, the best 36 holes in golf. By the time you get to the 40s, Wingfoot left everybody in the the rearview mirror as far as hosting majors, silly courses, and it'll always remain that way. I mean, Quaker Ridge is a beauty. It's not far away. And Baltus Stroll's got some nice, uh, it's also very nice. But you let me pick my my, uh, spot to play, it's going to be Wingfoot every time. And not not having to apologize to my friends over at Baltus Roll, there's no question that Wingfoot has the two best Tillinghast courses on a single site. It's not even worth a discussion other, other than that. But you're independent. Why do you say that? Because I've been to both sites and both courses on both sites. And it's, to me, a fairly obvious thing. Um, for me, you already know, there is nothing that can compare to Bethpage Black. That's where I grew up. That's that's in my blood big time. I'm the historian for the San Francisco Golf Club um, and several others. But the, Wingfoot is special. He really dug into what he was doing there, every inch of the place, um, uh, with everything he could do. It's just look at the names of the holes. He did those things on purpose. And and it's interesting because you want to start with the, the, the second uh, green because 
that name had importance to Tilly, Man of War. See, he loved Man of War during his uh, course consultation tour for the PGA from 35 to, to 38. He, in in uh, 36, he was in Kentucky and took a day off from his work to go visit the uh, a burial site for Man of War and pay his respects. And the, the reason the second hole is um, uh, named that is because of the design. The design is fairly straight left side of the fairway and to him, that was like racing. You're uh, just tied to the left pole and, and, and the fence along, going around the track. And you really have to work hard at that position to get it just right uh, to come down and, and win. It's the same thing with the hole. That's why he designed it that way, because that was man of war in the way he raced. you got to avoid that rough on the left, though. That's the challenge. Slows it up immediately, right? Yep. But unlike that, if you're one, if you're even in the first cut there and you've hit the right tumbler, like you hit a little left power fade, you can see 30, 40 yards run out from there. But it's all going to kick dead right when it gets down there. So you have to get it far enough up to run it onto the green. If you don't, you're going to be down on the lower right side in the rough in someone's divot probably because there's a thousand shots from there a day. So wouldn't you agree then that in order to get it to the right spot on the left side, you have to be uh, hug the rail, yep. a good, not just hugging the rail, a good player. All right, Billy, quiz time. Where's the master bunker on this hole, Billy? Come on. <laughs> I think it's the short fairway bunker. That's the only bunker I worry about on that hole. Well, that may be the only one you worry about, but that's not correct because the master <laughs> bunker bunker is always up by the green no i meant the fairway bunker i wasn't even attempting a, a shot at the master bunker i was only explaining the bunker that is in my head from t to green or well till i get past it <laughs> i can make a part from anywhere on that hole but that bunker is has got to be uh dealt with but i'd rather be in the front left bunker than the fairway bunker because from the front left bunker you can hit it up to the back left side of the green and when the pin's up there and the the, the slope of the green will help you out a great deal but I think you'd prefer right there in the right corner. But look at this green, though. It's double cut. You can see the mowing lines, absolutely. What do you think these greens are running in those days? I'd say seven to eight. Through the magic of podcasting, Phil and Billy, we are moving from two east all the way down to Bobby Collins's favorite hole, seven east. This, to me, is just an unbelievable hole, uh, seven east. And look at the beautiful views you had. Like you said, Phil, we've lost some trees on purpose. But the important ones are there and you can see you can see the eighth green you can see the fourth fairway over there to the right you can see one west in the fairway and one west it's it's unbelievable the views and vistas we picked up because what i love about this and it's really important tilly and i mentioned it last time he took great pride in his green entrances he wrote his biggest um, uh, gift as it were to uh, the art of uh, golf course architecture was his green entrances and how they fed into the green, how they controlled many aspects of the green. I've putted off every green in that golf course. If I can come up short left on this hole, regardless of where the pin is, it's hard for me to hit that green in two. So I want to be right there short left where I can putt up at the at the hole regardless of where it is. 
anywhere short right yeah doomed doomed short rights yeah no way to get it close moving from the 70s we're going to go across we've gotten a little refreshment maybe that was a uh, dark cup of coffee in 1923 or it was a light gin and tonic but now or we're a hunk of cheese on a ritz cracker do we see bunkers on the right of the screen or phil are these the beginning of the bunkers over there but it goes back to how the bunkers were um, built with Wingfoot. And I can thank uh, Neil for this. He was the one who, who taught me about this because we got talking about bunkers and how they, uh, because of a lot of the angles in them, how difficult they must have been to uh, be done in, in back in the 20s. Tilly had them built the way they would build a lot of inland uh, uh, courses in the UK because you'd have those same kind of problems because they would like sand sweeping up the face. Um, and what, what they would do is they would put sod there and let it die off. And as it's dying off, they would put sand on it. And as it keeps dying, they put more and more sand on it because that dead grass becomes a mesh that then holds the sand in place. And there's actually some photographs showing the development of, of a couple of the greenside bunker, light amounts of grass, and then they're dying off, and then there's sand on, and later on, full sand. So, Phil, moving down a couple holes, we're on 13 East. No one has picked 13 East of the eight holes, and it's the shortest or tied with the shortest hole at Wingfoot, the par threes. No one's picked it to make par better for a large sum of money. In my opinion, this hole is easier to hit in one than two. What's interesting to me about this hole, in fact, about all the par threes over at Wingfoot, Tilly liked to put on many of, if not quite most, of his courses, what he called it, a tiny Tim. That's today always known as a little Tilly. And it's 110 to 115-ish yards and just surrounded by a sea of sand. This has that same almost type of characteristic. All right, moving from 13 west to 15 east, other than six west, it's the shortest par four a wing foot. Why is this one so hard? Well, again, it's the difficulty until he courses are 90% in the, the uh, uh, approach to the green. And when you, when you look at this and you look at the slope on the right side coming from the bunker up, right? If that sand went up almost to the top, it's an easier hole because for the most part, you're not going to bury into that at the top. You're going to hit it in glance. Um, but here, if you don't get into the sand, you've got a brutal stance in nice, heavy rough. So that, that's, that's hard enough. But then the way the green runs away from no matter where you are in it into different directions. So that's a, that's a tremendous uh, hazard. And as a result, you're then saying to yourself, got to stay away from it. So now you're going to go left to the green. And that's no bargain either. It's a, it's a wonderfully thought out, a little, you, you look at that bunker, it's, it seems like no big deal. But think about what that bunker has everybody thinking about from the fairway. And that's the whole purpose of the master trap too, because if it gets you thinking the wrong way or thinking the right way, but not able to do it, you're messed up. 
all because of that bunker. Which one is the master trap on this all, Billy? <laughs> right side. <laughs> all right. You got it. I don't like being down in that bunker. First of all, you get lost, and the, the group is going to play as a threesome on in from 16. You can get up the hill at all. That's it's the only place not to go on that hole. I mean, there's bad spots, but that's the worst of them all down to the right. Inbounds at Wingfoot, it's perhaps the worst place to be. Now we've moved to 17 East, which is, to me, one of the prettiest holes at Wingfoot. Way back when, there was a bunker there on the left. It's like every other hole there. They're superb. There isn't, it, this is the rarest of, of places you have. It really is. And it's it's so easy to say, but it's so true. Each hole is a piece of artwork on its own. There's, you find no matter how great a course is that, that he did, almost every one of them has a hole that's like, oh, I wish that wasn't there. And yet, here, every single hole has stood the test of time. It's, it's a, again, another superb uh, job at, at the restoration of it. Again, showing you that uh, whole front portion of it, which is just the fairway becoming the green, which is what he did superbly. I knew someone who would uh, hit a putter off that tee. Who's that? You you ever put bird on Have you ever tried a putter on this tee, Billy? I've tried it with Neil. I can't hit it like he could. Neil could hit a, a putter like a two iron if he wanted to. Uh, worked very closely, as you know, and maybe some members of Wingfoot don't know who Doug Smith is. We call him Doug Smith. When he penned his name, it was always Douglas LaRue Smith, decorated war veteran, I think two Purple Hearts. And his heart was always with Wingfoot, but he took this gentleman in with him, Billy's brother, Neil, taught him everything he knew. And uh, Neil took it from there. And I think Neil lived in many eras. I think he lived in the Roaring Twenties through his research and through his readings and stuff like that. No more better than this little audio clip that I'm going to share with you and we can talk about it. <laughs> In 1929, the Yankees were the greatest team in the history of baseball. They had been unbeatable on 27 and 28. They start the season, Babe Ruth's not playing up to his standards, still the best player, but not to his standards. And then he goes AWOL. He just disappears, and the newspapers track him. And in theory, he's sick. He's too ill to play baseball. But in fact, he's playing a lot of golf, including at Wingfoot. He played 54 holes here on the Tuesday before the Open. And then Ruth comes here to the U.S. Open on Friday when he's got a day off, follows Bobby Jones around inside the rope, smoking a cigar. And then on the Saturday, goes down to uh, Philadelphia to play a game against the Athletics and Lefty Grove, perhaps the greatest pitcher of his era. And Ruth hits two homers off him. And the Sunday paper's headline says, Jones, Espinosa, tie. Ruth hits two homers, beats A's. You know, he was missing in action because he was playing golf everywhere, especially at Wingfoot. He played three rounds of golf the Tuesday during the week of the Open at Wingfoot. Can you imagine that being done at L.A. Country Club this past summer? Nobody's playing there. It was he was so, an avid golfer. It was so good hearing his voice. It really was. It, it's, I could see the twinkle in his eye, the, the trying to say that straight and yet the little coming up smile with each 
part of the sentence that followed. Okay, I have a great story about 18 East with uh, Neil. Um, it was a, um, probably six or seven years ago, and the entire dining room was full of the member guest dinner. And uh, there was a light on 18 East Green, and Mike Durkin had set a pin up in the front left of that green in an impossible place for and, and a, for chipping contest as part of the uh, member guest. Front left as you're coming up the fairway, Billy, correct? Correct, yes. Where that big hump is. A little further away than where it is now. Yeah, well, you couldn't really, you would never put a pin there. It was in, literally in a ridiculous place. That was the, the whole idea of it. So we're all in there having dinner and, and stuff like that, and we're at dessert. And someone looks out the window and says, there's a couple of guys out there in the dark, but with the light, you know, putting at that pin from the back right corner, which is where Dirks had set up the uh, chip off. So I said to my guest, Rob Muldera, God bless him, let's go out. So we went out. I'm going to tell you, within 10, 12 minutes, there was probably 40 of us out there all trying to make that putt from the back right to that to that pin. And Neil narrating it. That one's got a chance. That one, oh, nope, too far left. Got, nope, got, that's too far. That's gone. Every one of them. It was it was uh, uh, something I'll never forget. It's an individual vision. I mean, there's a, there's a million really good movie directors out there, but no one's been able to duplicate Hitchcock. You could try, mm -hmm. but you can't. And, you know, it's a, it's a certain individual eye. And, you know, Tilly had his own. Didn't do and anything Gilman by accident. Nothing by accident. It was all his eye playing it out. And he had less acreage to deal with than other properties he dealt with. This is only 280 acres. Steve Rabideau's, I think it was Steve would say, or maybe even Gil Hans have said, you wouldn't necessarily want to design 36 holes on just 280 acres today. And he was able to get away with it because he intertwined the courses. So there's no paralleling holes in the minds of those playing them. You're not saying, oh, going up this, oh, now I'm coming back down. No, not at all. It's a totally different concept for you as a player. And that's how he was able to put them all in together. It's like every other hole there. They're superb. There isn't, it, this is the rarest of, of places you have. It really is. And it's it's so easy to say, but it's so true. Each hole is a piece of artwork on its own. And yet here, every single hole has stood the test of time. <laughs> Why are you laughing? Oh, 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 well, at least we have a laugh to add at the end. <laughs> right. We're, we've gone from 12 handicaps at this to 19 handicaps in just a week. <laughs> that, that's what happened. Somebody changed my grip, and the next thing you know, I can't do the podcast anymore. I felt like I was in the first row of the uh, first pew at church right during the sermon. <laughs> and your brother was poking my you. Brother, my brother was making me laugh. Thanks for joining Billy us Casper, today. Billy Horner. We really appreciate your Double feedback. Indemnity. And please Arky. subscribe to Two the show. Hit them hard. Job. And hit them off. That's 36 holes.